Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of Charts at Billboard. Joining me, as always, is Billboard.com Senior Editor Katie Atkinson. Merry Christmas and happy holidays, Keith. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs> happy holidays. It's our uh, final Pop Shop podcast of 2016. Oh my goodness. Where did the, where did the time go? It, it just it just flew. It was only yesterday where we were uh, talking to Olivia Newton-John back in January. Yes. Um, it's been a good year of guests. It's been, it's been an amazing year of guests, and uh, we so appreciate everyone uh, tuning in each week and downloading us and streaming us. And uh, we hope that you will hang out with us again in 2017. Um, We are going out strong this year, and uh, we will tell you why in just a second. Because the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion and possibly some, you know, holiday recipes (laughs) about the week's big pop news. Maybe not. uh, Fun chart stats and stories and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. This week on the show, we've got an interview with a music legend, Darlene Love. She's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee. She was featured in the 2013 Academy Award-winning documentary film, 20 Feet from Stardom. And as both a lead and backing vocalist, you've heard her voice on so many hits that have charted on the Billboard Hot 100. From the Ronettes' Be My Baby and the Righteous Brothers' You've Lost That Love and Feelin' to even the Monster Mash. We thought it would only be fitting to wrap up the pop shop in 2016 with an interview with Love as she has one of the best known and most beloved Christmas recordings of all time, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home. We talk about that song plus so much more with the fabulous Love later on in the show, so do not go anywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Katie's giggling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Plus, in addition to our chat with Love, we've got... Chart Chat, another kind of chat, about a new number one album on the Billboard 200 chart, J. Cole's new For Your Eyes Only. Um, again, also, not what the J. Cole song again, sounds like. Again, not, not he doesn't cover For Your Eyes Only. Um, plus, uh, the Billboard Hot 100 chart welcomes not one, but two debuts in the top ten this week from Zayn and Taylor Swift and J. Cole himself. And we'll discuss the big news of how Camila Cabello has announced she'll be leaving Fifth Harmony, friend of the podcast, this Fifth is, Harmony. This is a big pop shop, like, bombshell. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pop shell. Pop shell. It's a pop, yeah. <laughs> bomb, it's a pop, pop shell. Nope. Nope. <laughs> what, is, what does all this mean? What, is the, what does her departure mean? We'll talk about that, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Hmm. Um, But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to us on iTunes so you won't miss a single episode. And, you know, give us a rating if you'd like to. No pressure. Uh, If you have any questions for us, uh, you can tweet us at Keith underscore Caulfield or KT Atkinson. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. So uh, before we get into the chart chat, Katie and I had a uh, pop shop field trip last night. Oh, we did. We went and saw... Who'd we go see, Katie? We saw a couple of amazing pop rock divas. Uh, We saw Stevie Nicks on her... Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast, Stevie (laughs) Nicks. And she had the delightful opening act of The Pretenders. Um, That's a double bill. (laughs) Yeah, Chrissy Hind, they did a full hour to start the show. And she killed it. 
Her voice was insane. I think that was the first time both of us had seen them. Mm-hmm. Well, you saw them live on I the show. I saw her sing one time, but yeah. I've never seen uh, the group before. So, yeah. It was uh, uh, after they after they finished, I turned to Katie and was just like, you know, I, I'm i like, I'd never seen the Pretenders before. And I probably, I probably wouldn't have really gone out of my way to see them. And I know that sounds terrible to say, but I'm just being honest. And then after, and I was just going because I wanted to see Stevie. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, cool, Pretenders, I'll see them too. After I saw them, I was like, man, they were freaking great. So good. And she, her voice is, sounds exactly like it's always sounded. Even when she was yelling at the crowd about putting their cell phones down, she was still delightful. Very feisty. <laughs> Very feisty. Very feisty. And then feisty. Stevie killed it too. Like, just an amazing show full of songs that she hadn't performed either ever or in a long time. Yeah. It was, it was a great night. Full of stories. Oh, man. I love her stories. She's like, I gotta shorten this one, but it's like those are kind of the best parts. Like yeah. her telling stories. She she joked at one point. She's like, they keep telling me I need to make the stories shorter. You know, this is turning into like a seminar. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and and if you're if you're curious as to what the uh, what song she was doing, um, it was the whole tour was based around uh, her new well, her most recent album, Twenty Four Karat Gold, which is an archival album of previously unreleased songs that were kind of cut from albums for various reasons. But it's actually a really good album because, you know, even Stevie's cast-offs mm-hmm. uh, are still great yes, tracks. Yes, they're cast-offs from classic albums. Right. So <laughs> so um, go back and revisit our interview with Stevie yes. uh, that happened, like, a, you know, a couple months ago. It was on the Stevie Cheryl Crow episode. Yeah, ooh, that was a jam-packed A twofer. Show. Twofer. Um, so, yeah, we had a little field trip last night, and that was yeah. a hoot. Uh, and um, so let's get into the chart chat for this week. Uh, J. Cole debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 chart with For Your Eyes Only. It's his fourth number one album on the Billboard 200. All four of his studio albums have reached number one. Not all four have actually debuted at number one. I erroneously had that in my story and uh, was then corrected, and I felt embarrassed that I had that in my story. Well, they all went to number one. They all went to number one. <laughs> Eventually. And that's, and that's really the most important thing. Yes. Um, the album starts with 492,000 equivalent album units earned. Huge week. Huge week. The third biggest week of 2016 behind only Views and Beyonce's Lemonade. Um, And of that, uh, 492,000, 363,000 were in traditional album sales. And that is the third biggest sales week of the year, again, behind Views and Lemonade. Um, J. Cole is one of those sneak attack artists Mm -hmm. where he doesn't really have any, like, well-known pop, like, pop hits at all. He's always uh he's always just kind of been there, been consistently great, and people you know expect good stuff from him, so they keep buying his albums. And, and very much an album focused artist, mm-hmm. where he like you know when you buy his album, you know you're going to get a cohesive piece of work. Yes, um, I'm, col- I'm totally going to misquote this, but he has a, a lyric or a song where he says number one with no features. His whole thing's always been like no it's just me, like I, I just me, and I can I got myself to number one, which yeah oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. It's like I mean I mean there's nothing wrong with features, <laughs> but but still impressive. You know it's 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 he's doing it the frankly the old fashioned way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, J Cole's number one with his fourth number one album. Will he be number one next week? He could. It's a little early. We're recording this on Monday. We don't actually have a good forecast for this week's chart yet because it's a little bit early in the week. Um, forecasters seem to indicate that it could still be J Cole or. 
it might be Pentatonix. Oh. So Pentatonix could slip into number one Is with their Christmas their album. Christmas album, yes. The, um, the, the new Christmas album, mm-hmm. A Pentatonix Christmas. Which would make sense given the time of year. Yes, this would be the last tracking, the last full tracking week before Christmas because next week's charts will reflect the week ending this Thursday. Okay. Um, which is uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days before Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So this, you, in theory, right now you're doing all those hot and heavy purchases of Christmas music that you need to wrap last minute Christmas gifts. Probably, my mom would like it. I'm, I'm actually getting inspired just hearing that. I feel <laughs> Amazon I, Prime. I feel like, that overnight shipping. I feel a like gifting coming on. <laughs> um, over on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. We have a pair of debuts in the top 10, one of which happens to be from Jay Cole, who immediately gets his highest charting single ever on the Hot 100. Wow. We just talked a second ago about how we don't know his hits are not pop hits. Um, so maybe that will change uh, because he has a song that debuts at number eight on the charts. Hold on. I'm trying to find it. It is Deja Vu, and it's actually number seven. I take that back. It's number seven on the chart. Mm. Deja Vu by J. Cole. <laughs> right ahead of it is Zayn and Taylor Swift, who debut at number six with their Fifty Shades Darker collaboration, I Don't Want to Live Forever. Especially impressive because it started out uh, only on Apple Music yeah, and think, like, for purchase. First, yeah, for like the first day or two, it was only on Apple, mm-hmm. and then it went to other streaming services. It took a, a week. To go to Spotify. Yeah, it took a week to go to Spotify. But it was on, like, Tidal at some point in the week. So it started off initially exclusive, and then it kind of started to move wide after that. So this could not be the—this may not be the highest week for it. It could actually go higher, especially after the holidays and especially as we get closer to the movie actually coming out, Mm -hmm. which is in February, I think. Um, J. Cole's song, by the way, uh, is one of, uh, I think— there's 12 J. Cole songs on the Hot 100 this week. Whoa. And uh, 10 of them are from his album. So all 10 of his songs from the album, because the song, the album has 10 songs, they're all on the chart. His full album is on the Hot 100 this week. Plus he has an additional two songs, which are not on the album, but also on the chart. So he has a total of 12 songs on the chart this week. Man. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good week for J. Cole. Um, also on the Billboard Hot 100, uh, a song that we talked about last week, Yes, I'm curious about this one. This is the Steve Aoki, Louis Tomlinson. Yes. I really want to know where it ended up on the Hot 100. You want to take a wild guess? Um, well, we know it did not debut into the hot, the top 10. That's correct. Um, I mean, is it top 40? No, unfortunately. Not quite. Okay, what is it? Number 52. 52. It's um, a good song. Yeah, I mean, the the and I think I like the uh, studio version better than the live performance that I saw. Sure. And I think some of that might have been just the nerves of Louis having to perform oh my under God. those circumstances. Yeah. Um, but the, the studio version is actually pretty great. Oh, yeah. I really like it. It came up on my Spotify mix this weekend, and I was jammed to it. Yeah. So it debuts at number 52. And um, had it been any other week uh, in the year that wasn't the week that J. Cole decided to drop an album, mm-hmm. and also a week where a bunch of Christmas songs are on the chart, Louis would have been in the top 40. Yeah. Because all those J. Cole songs, for the most part, are ahead of Louis. Oh, wow. As well as things like Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree and All mm-hmm. I Want for Christmas is You. So if it had been, say, a month ago, he probably would have had a couple days, hit. too, because it came out Saturday night. Oh, so he missed, like, a good full, like, day or so. Of- Friday and Saturday. Yeah. So uh, this is not the end, though, for the song. I think I think the first week was just the initial, like, the initial rush of sales and streams. Yeah. Because it's like a new Louis song. Oh, my God. Now... 
now will be the real test. Yeah. Will it become a radio hit? Yep. Will it be, you know, will it have some sort of legs on it? So we'll see. So I think it's kind of cool. This week on the Hot 100, we have songs by Zane and uh, two of his former band members in One Direction, Niall Louis Horan and, and Louis Tomlinson. Yep. Um, Where you at, Harry? Where you at, Liam? Well, Liam's <laughs> working on it. Um, and Harry's, what, in a movie? This seems like a perfect segue into the biggest pop news of the week. Oh, Fifth Harmony. Fifth Harmony, Camila Cabello leaving the group. We've seen it before. It's funny. Somebody, I saw somebody tweet, it's just like March 25th all over again. I'm like, March 25th? It's the day Zane left ah. One Direction two years ago or year, whenever that was, less than two years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the news broke on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Well, we were at the Stevie Nicks Pretenders concert. We got it. Yeah, we, we, uh, Katie's inbox suddenly blew up. Um, uh, Fifth Harmony announced it on their Twitter account and on their socials, um, saying that after four and a half years of being together, we have been informed via her representatives that Camila has decided to leave Fifth Harmony. We wish her well. Very notable wording there. Very um, kind of shady wording. Well, and and Camila responded on Monday. That was uh, 12 hours after it was originally announced, and, and she calls out the wording. <laughs> Uh, She says, I was shocked to read the statement uh, the Fifth Harmony account posted without my knowing. The girls were aware of my feelings through the long, much-needed conversations about the future that we had during the tour, saying that they were just informed through my representatives that I was, quote, leaving the group, end quote, is simply not true. So, uh, I mean, and she says... Uh, just like the other girls said in their statement about their plans, I had also planned to continue with my own solo endeavors in the new year, new year. But I did not intend to end things with Fifth Harmony this way. So sad as it is to see this chapter ending this way, I will continue to root for them all as individuals and as a group. I wish them nothing but the best. Yada yada yada. I mean, the wor- the way that she says that makes you think that she probably hoped it would go more of a Beyonce Destiny's Child route, where they never broke up. Beyonce went on and made solo albums, and then they came back and they made a Destiny's Child album. I'm not saying Camila Cabello was Beyonce, but I think that's the idea that she might have hoped, like that they wouldn't necessarily need to dissolve Fifth Harmony for her to fully pursue her solo aspirations. I think, well, I think lots of things. One, I think this could have been handled way better. Yeah. Um, there should have been a joint statement uh, from all of them, a la One Direction, when... Zane left because when Zane left the group, they put out a statement on their Facebook that was basically saying Zane has decided to leave after five years. Yeah. And there was a quote from Zane. There was a quote from One Direction as a group. Mm-hmm. And there was a quote from Simon Cowell, mm-hmm. who is, you know, their manager. And it was all about like Zane wants to go on his own journey and we support him. Zane's like, I support the other guys in the group. They are my friends. They are my buds. Everyone, kumbaya. Definitely what happened here is the, I think at least, the like team Camila went like too hard and too early on the language of like, you know, moving towards solo stuff. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, that's what it seems like. So, like, the girls got spooked when she didn't want to renew her contract, which is was up as of Sunday yeah. with Fifth Harmony. They probably got spooked to thinking that, oh, it's done, period, end of story, and were hurt by that and therefore release that statement i think and and uh, allegedly uh, rumors have been floating around for a long time that there has been trouble in fifth harmony land um 
and uh, I guess, I mean that's been happening. I guess it's been. I mean, sort they of, were five virtual strangers five years ago. So was One Direction. Yeah, they, they One Direction and Fifth Harmony were all complete strangers who came into their respective reality TV competition shows as solo artists, mm-hmm. and were assembled by Simon Cowell into these groups that we now know today. Uh, uh, in effect, in, and we have to remember this: they were strangers pushed together into a group that. At the time, I'm sure that the allure of being in a musical group overshadowed or outweighed whatever minor differences or solo desires that you may have had at that point. Cut to four and a half years later, if you're Fifth Harmony and you're Camila, and you're like, I've had two singles. They both seem to be doing okay. Um, I have a pretty decent profile. I want to write my own music. I don't want to be told what I have to put on my album. I... And and if you if you listen, and we interviewed Camila on the Pop Shop earlier in 2016 when I Know What You Did Last Summer was breaking, and she seemed like she was wanting to kind of go into like a more sort of guitar-driven, acoustic-y direction that isn't all about the hairography and dancing. And I was surprised by that. I didn't realize that that's kind of where she wanted to go in terms of her songwriting. She was, she was like, I love Ed Sheeran. She loves that kind of stuff. Yeah. Not that the other girls don't like that. Not that you can't be diverse and well-rounded and have all the colors of the wind in your you know repertoire. But, you know, it, I, think, I think what should have happened was, this is just my theory, I think that all five of the girls should have gone to do their own solo things yeah. now and ne- and just didn't announce anything about what Fifth Harmony exactly. was doing and just let them all go do stuff because we see that Lauren has her own single with Marion Hill that's doing well. Mm-hmm. Normani just put out a cover of Drake that's mm-hmm. kind of like clicking right now. Let them all go do their own things. Let them all experience the ups and downs and you know successes possibly of being solo artists and then come back if they want to, mm-hmm. as a five-piece. Yeah, but to close the door now seems... It's like, bam, shut. Yeah. We're done. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't think that was the right way to do it. Yeah. All right. The story will continue. Let's let's bring some holiday cheer into this episode. Uh, Why this don't episode. we? Sorry that went on so long, everyone. Katie I mean, was looking at big... me, like, trying to, like, shut up, Keith, shut no, up. No, it's just, it's a big story for this audience, for sure. I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, it's I'm also just... I'm also just sad that, like, you know, the girl group that finally brought a girl group back to the top 10 of the Hot 100 is now kind of fracturing. Yeah. But I look forward to great music from all of them. But, yeah, let's move on to our interview with the amazing Darlene Love. Yes. You know, when we were brainstorming guests for our Christmas show, we threw out some pie-in-the-sky names of artists really associated with Christmas music. And I immediately thought of Darlene Love. Um, you know, her career spanned more than 50 years, starting with her work in the 60s with Phil Spector, all the way to her solo album last year, Introducing Darlene Love. And one of those songs that she made with Spector was the holiday classic Christmas, Baby Please Come Home, which she used to sing every year on David Letterman's show. And now she started her second year singing it on The View just this week or last week. And uh, she had a special guest appearance by Patti LaBelle even on The View. You know, you know, fellow diva Patti LaBelle. Um, in our chat, we talked about her upcoming string of Christmas concerts, her favorite Christmas music, her latest album with Stephen Van Zandt, the experience of making the Oscar and Grammy winning film 20 Feet from Stardom, and what is on the horizon for her 2017. So here's our interview with Darlene Love. Hello, Darlene Love, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Thank you so much. 
We're so happy to have you, and we're speaking to you just before Thanksgiving, which means Christmas is right around the corner, and we wanted to have yeah. you on. Yes. We wanted to have you on around this time because your name is really synonymous with classic Christmas music. You sang one of the biggest holiday hits of all time, Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home. Are you yourself a big fan of Christmas, a big Christmas person? Yes, I had a large family, and uh, my father was a minister. So Christmas has always been huge in our family. You know, we we all we were all we all grew up in church, and on Christmas they have big uh, programs. You know, and then over the years I moved to New York, and my family is still in California. But every other Christmas they come to New York. So it's still a very big Christmas for all of us. Oh, that's great. So you still get everybody all together in one place. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, before uh, David Letterman retired, you performed your song every single December on his late night show since the 80s. Do you miss that part of your um, holiday tradition? We, we did the first couple of years, um, you know, because it was something that it was just part of, of, of Christmas for all of us, even the, the David Letterman show. It's funny, I would go by that area just walking by during the summer or something, and I'd go in to say hi to everybody, and they'd go, Is it Christmas already? (laughs) (laughs) I said, I just came by to say hi. No, it's July. (laughs) That's amazing. So I did miss it, you know, and I still think every time it leads up to Christmas, I do think about it a lot because I told David the, the last show we did, he's kind of responsible, him and Paul Schaefer, for the career that I have as far as Christmas music is concerned, because that that show, I did that show for 29 years, yeah. which is unheard of. One song. <laughs> totally, yeah. I mean, yeah, totally made, turned it into this, this huge event every year. They did. You know, sometimes it was so big, we could, didn't have enough room for everybody. <laughs> So, um, aside from your your classic songs, do you have any favorite Christmas songs yourself or Christmas albums that you'll listen to every year? Well, I I mostly listen to gospel Christmas album because they have a different way of singing the 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 uh, everyday Christmas songs, and I like listening to them. My actually favorite Christmas song is Silent Night. Yes. Because it has such a wonderful message. And another tradition is your concert in New York City around Christmas every year. Um, and you're going to be performing uh, leading up to Christmas, and you're going to perform on the 23rd and on the 26th, I believe, at BB King's. Um, have you? Yeah, started- that has become a. Yeah, that has become another tradition. It started out just one time, and then after a few years, then I started doing it two or three times. Now it's up to four times. Yeah. <laughs> have you started planning that that show yet? Oh, yes. We did our first Christmas show last weekend oh, up wow. in New Jersey. So we're, this weekend, it really kind of starts it. I start uh, in Massachusetts, and we don't have another off day for about two weeks, and then we hit it hard again. So we're off and running. <laughs> yeah, you actually, you've already performed more than two dozen shows in 2016 so far. You've been, you've been everywhere. And um, I'm wondering what is kind of different between those holiday shows you do from now leading up to Christmas and the shows you do the, the rest of the year. Well, we do just regular shows. Um, I, I recorded an album uh, last year with Stephen Van Zandt. So we do mostly all those songs that are on that album. I feel good being able to sing all of my songs instead of somebody else's songs, because I used to do a Marvin Gaye medley, and, uh, which is great. We 
even thinking about putting that back in the show because we had so much fun doing it. But just regular songs that we do, the difference is we take those songs out and replace them with all the Christmas songs. Okay. So we do about eight or about, I would say, five or six uh, Christmas songs throughout the whole show. We open with one. And then we close, of course, with Christmas Baby, Please Come Home. So, And it's great songs because people know those songs. They've heard them all their life. So we always get our audience to sing along with us. And if they think they're not singing, we we make the singers stop singing, and they we make them sing it by themselves. <laughs> get everyone involved. <laughs> yeah, and and that's kind of like it is for our Christmas shows. Everybody really does get right into the mood. And by the time we get to Christmas, baby, please come home. Sometimes we used to say, "Come on, get on up, have a good." You know, they're already up. <laughs> that's awesome. By the time that song starts. Um, you mentioned your latest album, Introducing Darlene Love, which came out um, a little over a year ago now, and it right. was so well-received and featured so many huge collaborators like Bruce Springsteen and Elvis Costello and Joan Jett and Linda Perry, and you mentioned already that it was produced by Stephen Van Zandt. Um, what, what has this year been like since the album's release and getting to perform all of these songs? Well, you know, it's amazing because I think people are more amazed that I can still sing. <laughs> you know, and do good work. And and Stephen knew that. So yeah. when we got ready to record this album, he went and got the best people he knew that could write for me. And these guys that he called in, even Jimmy Webb, I mean, he wrote a masterful song for the album. And everybody wrote something especially for me, not another song that they had for somebody else. The, every one of these writers wrote a song especially for me. So that, that really said a whole lot about who I am and what I mean to them and what I mean to the industry. So yeah. it was so good. And it makes it so much more personal having it, you know, tailor-made to you like that. Yes. And Stephen knew. I mean, somebody would send a song and they go, this is not for this album. Maybe another one down the road, but not this one. <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely a good uh, a good advocate on your side, for sure. Oh, yeah. You know, he's still such a great buddy with me, too. You know, we, we do a lot of things together. He'll call me to do something, then I'll call him to do something. And just the idea, our friendship has weathered the storm for over, over 30 years. You know, we're still really, really good buddies. You know, and made a big difference. I've never seen Stephen work before in the studio. He is unbelievable. I mean, he knows exactly what he wants. He knows what he hears. Things that, you go, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, with the music and how he'll bring his, he'll get in there and play his guitar and put different things on the track. So it was like in the, in the operating room. I mean, he just dissected it and just put all of everything that he had, all of his years, all of his knowledge, he put all of that into that album. And I'll never be able to thank him enough. Well, I'm sure the feeling is mutual, that the fact that he got to work so closely with you on this album as well. That was great. That's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one of the coolest parts about this album was that it was your first new album in decades, and there, there's this younger audience that might have been introduced to you as a backup singer in 20 Feet from Stardom, and all of a sudden they got to know you as this leading lady through this album. So what did it mean to you to kind of, you know, step out front in front of this whole new crowd like that? Well, you know, it was that's something Stephen wanted to do. We wanted to bridge that gap. You know, because I have an, an audience, 
but I want the younger audience to know who Darlene Love is, too. She's still here. She's still vibing. She can still do this, you know, and that's the reason why we did those songs by those writers because every one of those writers are still out there doing it. Yep. And, you know, we wanted, that was one of the Stevens' biggest things. He wanted to introduce me to the younger audience who only know me a lot, only knew me from Lethal Weapon. They didn't even realize I could sing. Right. They thought I was this movie star that they found. And uh, just those little things. And, and like I said about the David Letterman show, um, it became everybody's thing to do at Christmas time. All the families all over the country would just get themselves up and get themselves ready to see that song. So we wanted to put together an album that the young people would enjoy also. It's interesting, too, that you say that. I mean, your your career has spanned so many different areas that everybody probably has a different entry point for you. Like you said, like, you know, are you Danny Glover's wife in Lethal Weapon? Or are you, you know, the Christmas on Letterman? Or, or you know, the number one hit in the 60s? I mean, uh, it, it, I feel like when you meet people, do, does everybody have a different, you know, favorite thing that they bring up to you? They do, but here lately, you know, for the last 10 years, they've kind of really honed in on Darling Love, the singer. Yeah. Especially since I was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Absolutely. And um, <clears throat> I was on Broadway in, a, in a, one, a couple of really big Broadway shows, Hairspray. Yeah. In Greece, so it kind of really got me back out there as a singer. Wow, she is a singer. She's great. <laughs> And, um, you know, we were talking about 20 Feet from Stardom. What a whirlwind that movie must have been for you. Did you have any idea when you were approached to make the film that, you know, it would end up winning an Oscar and a Grammy and, and be such a high-profile documentary? I had no idea. Over the years, uh, uh, most singers, as backup singers, get asked to do many things, help people write a book or give them a quote on something. And we're always kind of leery of those things we just get to the point where we just say no, yeah. you know, because we don't know how it's going to come out or what they're going to say. And uh, this one, we kind of jumped on it because two very good friends of mine, Lou Adler, who was a record, big record producer yeah. in the 60s, yeah. and Dick Donner, who did the Lethal Weapon movies, called me first to tell me that this gentleman is going to call you, and he's the real deal. So do us a favor, and when he calls you, talk to him. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, okay, I'm glad you called first. Because <laughs> to do something about backup singers, you really have to love it or really want to do this. And uh, the guy that, that, that did it, he said he saw a show with three girls singing background, and he went, hmm, I wonder what their story is. And that's how it was birthed. And I talked to him for about two hours on the phone the first time. And he wanted to know who would I suggest, you know, to be in it, uh, how how do I go about finding them. And I, they did such an unbelievable job. And not only did they work the, the, the movie, they had all of us to work the movie also. I never went to so many towns in my life <laughs> <laughs> to look at a movie, <laughs> especially one movie. Yeah. And they'll find out that's what... Uh, Actors do. When they have a new movie out, they have to go and sell it. <laughs> and that's what we did. So it opened the doors for a whole lot more people to see me and as a singer to know where I came from. And my story actually touched so many people, you know, saying that, you know, you can do this. 
You know, it doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. If you really want to do it, it's in your heart to do it. Don't let anything stop you. So the movie has helped me. It has helped my career. And it's helped the other girls, other ladies that were in uh, in the movie. They, A lot of them now have solo careers. You know, so it, it helped all of us. It was It was amazing because, number one, who would have thought <laughs> something I did over 50 years ago? came up uh, something that won an oscar and also a grammy yeah. so it was explosive and even the entertainers saw that movie and loved it yeah i've got a lot of calls and emails and texts from entertainers that said wow what a story and the whole idea they say also it was really done so well absolutely <clears throat> and, um, you know, with your very busy schedule, are you finding time to maybe make some more new music? Is is Stephen bothering you to get back in the studio anytime soon? Well, I think he, he just got off of an unbelievable tour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we always laugh because this, uh, Bruce always say, I'm going out for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and he's gone for a couple of years. Oh, yeah, and they do those marathon shows. <laughs> and this last shows. one they said was a doozy because... He was doing four hours. I, I know, asked him, crazy. I said, what is wrong with you? Are you losing it? <laughs> What's up with that? You know, because it takes a whole lot of energy to really do a two-hour show, let alone a four-hour show. Yeah. But Stevie said they were, you could we, they were whipped. I mean, as they say, raggedy. <laughs> they were so glad to get home, they didn't know what to do. <laughs> so he needs a little bit of a breather maybe before Yeah, he needs a little quiet. He needs some... TLC, <laughs> but I'm sure we'll be, he'll be knocking on the door. Probably he'll go and get the songs this time before yeah. we go into the studio. This last time we just went in there and we just thought we were going to get all these songs all at once, you know, but everybody wanted to uh, write that special song for me, so it took a little while. So I would think he would probably do the reverse, go and get the songs first, so... It can happen any time because I have a three-record deal with him. So. Oh, great. That's amazing. And, I mean, yeah. now that I feel like the first album probably was the perfect launch pad where now people are probably throwing songs his way, like, get this to Darlene. Yes. You know that happens. You know how that is. Once somebody's on board, then every, here come everybody else. Right. <laughs> And, um, you know, finally, since this is going to be our last show of the year, I'm wondering uh, what do you have planned so far for 2017 and maybe what some of your, your New Year's resolutions might be this next year? Well, it's amazing. I don't make New Year's resolutions. I try to keep them all year long because mm -hmm. a lot of times if you put something out there, you really want to go and do it. So you just do it without without making, uh, this is what I'm going to do or this is what I want to do. I want to just really continue doing what I'm doing and on a larger scale. You know, right now we're playing to houses, you know, 1,200, 2,000 seaters. I want to play stadiums. I mean, I'm, I'm putting it out there. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I'd love to do another a movie or a television series, you know, and all of that's in time. But uh, just to be able to... Do what I'm doing is something I've always wanted to do, and now I'm able to do it on a larger scale. Uh, my own band, my own singers, you know, my own everything, you know. Now it's like, uh-oh, now you the boss. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good place to be. <laughs> yes, it is, it is. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, and happy holidays. Same to you. Forbidden.
Thank you so much, darling love, for being on the Pop Shop podcast. This was so cool. And as you heard at the end of that interview, when we talked about 2017, her dream is like, she's like, yeah, we're playing houses of like 1,200, 1,500, 2,000, but like, I want to do arenas. Like, let's see Darlene Love in an arena in 2017. I am all about it. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Her voice can fill up an arena. Yeah. <laughs> just watch her view performance from last uh, from last week. It was pretty. I'm like, the woman, I think she's 78. And one of the things she said during the interview it's was amazing. like, sometime, like when she before she was making the um, the album last year, people weren't sure whether she could still sing because, you know, sometimes your instrument doesn't last that long. And she's like, no, I still sing. I still got it. Like, and people were like reintroduced and realized, oh, yeah, Darlene Love still is killing it. I still so. got it. I'm still here. <laughs> well, now it is time for the chart stat of the week. 74 years ago. Whoa. I know. I'm going, going way back. Way back. The biggest selling single of all time topped the best selling retail records chart and became an instant classic, Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Quote, if Decca Records can meet the demand, the dealers say, Bing Crosby's White Christmas will be 1942's top-selling record. Billboard reported in the November 14, 1942 issue of our magazine, quote, Bing is getting to be the Santa Claus of the music shops. <laughs> Well, that's adorable writing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that was Billboard back in 42. Um, well, the song wasn't only the bestseller of 1942, but of all time. According to Guinness World Records, Crosby's rendition of White Christmas has sold an estimated 50 million copies globally. Written by Irving Berlin in 1942 in just 18 minutes, the song was featured in the film Holiday Inn, starring a then 39-year-old Crosby. Released in July of 1942 at the height of World War II. Our chart set of the week is about something that happened during World War II. Yes. Um, the song's soothing tones and gentle, reflective lyrics struck a chord with consumers. The single sailed to number one on Billboard's best-selling retail records chart on October 31st, 1942, and spent 11 consecutive weeks atop the list. It returned to the top 10 in every subsequent holiday season through 1949. White Christmas Mania continued on in 1943 when the tune won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. It was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1974, and it is one of the most covered holiday tunes of all time, with more than 500 covers by the likes of Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, Frank Sinatra, and Elvis Presley. So there you go. 74 years ago this week, the most popular record in the country was Bing Crosby's White Christmas. All right, that is our final show of 2016. That's a pretty good way to go out, I think. I think, you know, it's it's a good holiday-flavored episode. Darlene yeah. Love, Bing Crosby, Fifth Harmony. Okay, <laughs> Fifth Harmony. And Fifth Harmony. Um, Not a great early Christmas gift no. for the harmonizers. No. Um, what song should we go out on? Oh, man, so many. I feel I did my favorite. Did you have a second to think about your favorite? We did my favorite Christmas song last week. Well, we wouldn't have played um, White Christmas uh, during the charts of the week. So why don't we just go out on Bing Crosby's White Christmas and uh, have a happy holiday, whatever you celebrate. And uh, Happy holidays. Happy holidays. We'll see you in 2017. Bye. I'm dreaming of a white.